0: Hello and welcome to edition number 1,887 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 28th of October. I'm Peter B and I edited this edition, and beside me at the recording controls is Peter Braiding. Now this week we've got items from Whitney, Chipping Norton, Charlbury, Kerbridge, Burford, to name but a few, about sewage pollution, Covid, Jeremy Clarkson, several times, David Beckham, A Little Girl's Friendship with a Baby Rhino, and many more. Our two readers are Jenny Wyke, Nigel James. So, let's have our first story about our local MP under fire.
1: I'm not Jenny Wiley, I'm Marley Leach. MP under fire, over sewage. Whitney MP Robert Courts is under fire for voting down an amendment to the Environment Bill that sought to stop companies pumping raw sewage into waterways. The amendment, which was first put forward by the Duke of Wellington in the House of Lords, proposed forcing large companies, such as Thames Water, to take all reasonable steps to avoid sewage Overflowing into rivers. Most Conservative MPs, including Mr. Courts, voted against the amendment and it was voted down by 268 votes to 204. Thames Water's own figures record that in 2019 its treatment plant at Whitney pumped raw sewage into the Colwell Brook and Windrush for a total of 1,395 hours. The latest figures for 2020 show a rise from that to 1,563 hours into the river that eventually passes by Ducklington Lake. Campaigners Whitney Against Sewage Pollution, WASP, estimated it was the equivalent of at least nearly Two months of continuous flow, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Writing on his website, Mr. Court said the main reason it was not accepted was because it came with no plan and no impact assessment of how it could be implemented. Mr. Court said that while he supported the principle, We are talking about transforming a system which has operated since the Victorian era, the preliminary cost of which is estimated to be anywhere between 150 billion and 650 billion, which is more than has been spent combating the coronavirus pandemic. This amendment would have left the public exposed to these costs and would have been the equivalent of signing a blank cheque on behalf of bill payers. Ashley Smith of WASP said, scaring the public with ridiculously huge and unexplained estimates and implying that it's now the taxpayer's job to bail out private water companies is a very underhand tactic and one that does not stand up to scrutiny. Of course, fixing this problem must cost money, but that should come from investors and it needs to come fast, not at the lamentably low, rate, slow rate that the Environment Bill will create in its present form. We have perfectly adequate law right now and it is only government policy and under-resourcing of the regulator that is making it fail to protect us. Mr. Court said he did, however, support a plan to reduce storm overflows. He said, I was pleased to support new clauses to the bill, which place a range of new legal duties on the government and water companies. These include a duty on on government to produce a plan to reduce storm overflows, and a separate report on eliminating them entirely. Also, also, new legal duties on water companies to monitor and publish data on storm overflow and water quality in real time, and to publish drainage and sewerage plans showing how they will stop form overflows.
2: And now, uh, Nigel, more sewage. More sewage, I'm afraid, yes, but from a different (coughs) angle. This one is headed Study Slams Thames Sewage Discharges. A report claims there were more than 700 illegal discharges of untreated sewage from Thames Water Treatment Works in the space of two years. The study, penned by former University College London professor Peter Hammond, suggests Whitney was ranked sixth for the total hours of spillage of sewage to watercourses of all the parliamentary constituencies in 2019. The review also claims the sewage treatment works, STWs, in Carterton has probably been working at full capacity for more than five years, while the report says there were 26 illegal discharges of untreated sewage from the Chipping Norton STW between January 2020 and April of this year. Across the 13 Thames Water STWs, the report published in conjunction with the Windrush Against Sewage Pollution WASP says there was a total of 735 illegal discharges of untreated sewage between 2018 and 2020. When consulted on the figures by this newspaper, Thames Water said the data had not been verified by the water giant. The report blasts Thames for, it, for its poor record keeping and poor management of sewage works. The review states Thames Water has demonstrated poor record keeping and an inability to oversee the installation of event duration monitoring devices that, that record spills of sewage from storm tanks used temporarily to hold untreated sewage while adverse weather is causing the extra inflow into a sewage works. The results of the review are a a shocking indictment of Thames Water's poor management of these works and their disregard for the environment. Operator self-monitoring is not working and neither is the regulation of STW permit compliance. The WASP review claims some sewage spills occurred for as long as six months without respite. A spokesman for Thames Water confirmed the the company had received the report and said, our aim will always be to try and do the right thing for our rivers and the communities who love and value them.
1: Public Health Chief urges Covid caution as cases rise. Oxfordshire County Council is asking people to be cautious and continue to get tested as COVID-19 cases in county have risen by 44% since October 1st. The rise in cases reflected national trends, with the number of people testing positive increasing in every age group over the previous fortnight. There were 3,126 cases in the county, registered in the week ending October the 15th. Anzaf Azar, Oxfordshire County Council's Director of Public Health, said, September and early October saw cases fluctuate quite a bit locally and nationally as schools and universities returned and more people started going into the office. However, Over the past fortnight, there has been a sustained rise and we are now, once again, in a position where we are asking people not to take their eye off the ball. Speaking last week, he added, half term is coming up and we would ask families to make sure they continue to get tested, especially before the return to the classroom in early November. However, more widely, we are asking everyone in Oxfordshire to continue to take lateral flow tests on an ongoing basis throughout the winter months and to book a PCR test if they are symptomatic. The highest case levels remain in young people aged 11 to 17, with significant increases also being seen in people in their 40s. Mr Azar said, we are now seeing 12 to 15-year-olds invited for their jab and people in priority groups being invited for their booster. Our plea is that everybody should take advantage of these opportunities to boost their immunity as soon as possible. We would also like to repeat those simple and familiar messages about taking real care about socialising indoors, ventilating indoor spaces, hand washing and wearing face coverings. The COVID-19 rates for West Oxfordshire were 471.6 cases per 100,000 of the population for the week ending October 15.
2: And we carry on the COVID theme, but from a slightly different perspective. And this one is headed Anti Vaxer Concerns Near School and Health Centre. Concerns over the activities of people opposed to the COVID 19 vaccines have been raised by Labour officials following a letter sent to par- parents by a school head teacher. Steve Akers, vice chair of the Chipping Norton Labour Party, said, Anti-vaxxers had been demonstrating near Chipping Norton School and Health Centre in Russell Way. He's calling for measures to be brought back in order to control the spread of the coronavirus. The government has come under fire from NHS leaders and some scientists for not implementing its Plan B, which could see the return of mandatory face coverings indoors and guidance to work from home and vaccine passports. Mr Akers said... For the last two weeks, anti-vaxxers have been outside the garage leading up to the health centre. 52,000 new cases a day and almost 1,000 deaths a week demand an urgent response from government. We have the highest number of infections and deaths in Europe. The government must enact Plan B now. Compulsory face masks, social distancing, working from home, bubbles in schools, air filtration, CO2 monitors in schools should all be urgently put in place to break the chain and spread of infection and the increase in deaths. Masks and working from home should not have ended. There's immense pressure on our local hospitals. Last week, Chipping Norton School reintroduced the recommendation for face coverings to be worn by students and staff in all communal areas. Students and staff for years 9 and 11 will be strongly recommended to wear face coverings in lessons. In a letter sent to parents and carers earlier this month, head teacher Barry Doherty asked for lateral flow testing to continue and for face coverings to be worn on school buses. The letter read... There is no doubt that the test detects COVID-19 and therefore can lead to the confirmatory PCR test. Face coverings on all school buses remain highly recommended. Our own spot checks and conversations with bus drivers reveal that far too many students no longer wear their face coverings unless an adult is is present and reminds them to do so. A number of local secondary schools have already completed their vaccination programme. I understand that small groups of protesters have gathered outside some schools on the morning of those vaccinations. We understand those groups oppose vaccination of 12 to 15-year-olds and have peacefully and lawfully protested against the national programme.
1: COVID-19 Research Award for GP Surgeries Two Oxfordshire GP practices have been honoured for their contributions to COVID-19 research. Windrush Medical Practice and the Ensham Medical Group were recognised at the Royal College of General Practitioners Conference. The award was presented by the National Institute for Health Research and the College. The practices worked together at the start of the pandemic, creating a research team to run trials, including the stoic and Principle studies into treatments. Dr Ian Binion, a GP partner at Ensham, said, During the last 12 months, we have shown that practices can work together to deliver research at scale. We have rewritten the how to do primary care research books and show that research activity and support can move from secondary care to primary care. Research is often conducted in community settings known as primary care, as well as in hospitals or secondary care. Staff also enrolled more than 470 people into the Ensemble 2 vaccine trial from the Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson and NIHR. Phil Evans, CRN's Speciality Lead for Primary Care, said, it has been important to recognise the amazing overall, effect, overall effort and novel methods that have been used by practices.
2: And now we move away from Covid to Jeremy Clarkson. And the heading on this one is Jeremy tries conventional with his new barn scheme. Jeremy Clarkson has been given prior approval to build a cattle shed at Diddley Squat Farm in Chatlington. Documents state that the shed will house beef shorthorn cattle over the winter and during calving, and is made with some urgency as the farm's cattle are due to carve in January-February. According to documents, the farm currently owns 12 heifers, 10 of which are due to carve in January 2022. This forms the base of the farm herd, which will grow with each calving cycle. The new calves, arriving January, will be reared on the farm, and the heifers retained to breed. The building is a conventional design, with a light and airy space for livestock and an open floor to allow for easy cleaning. The Yorkshire boarding to the sides provides shelter whilst also allowing ventilation, while the open front allows natural light into the space along with free access for animals and machinery. The site is reached via a made track to Chipping Norton Road, which links the A361. In August, Jeremy shared a picture of one of his new cows he named Pepper with his 3.8 million followers on Instagram. He captioned the photo, World Meat Pepper. In another video, he shared a clip of another new cow and wrote, This one needs a name. Clarkson's farm co star and farm manager, Caleb Cooper, responded, Cow Jeremy has also revealed that it's his goal to get his vegan TV production team eating meat. In an hour-long question and answer with the National Farmers' Union in September, he was asked about veganism. He said, if you want to eat seeds and so on, that's fine. He revealed his daughter is vegan and described it as a phase that she will grow out of, Farmers Weekly reported. He added, we have a production team that made the show. I think four of them are vegan, and one of them said to me last weekend, would it be possible if I took half a dozen eggs home? I've been looking at the hens and they have a nice life and they make the eggs anyway, so we may as well eat them. My goal by the end of filming year, which is next July, is to have all of them tucking into some beef. A spokesman for West Oxfordshire district council, said the request was permitted development.
1: Racism claim over Clarkson Farm 999 call. Jeremy Clarkson has claimed he was told by a police call handler she would open a new line of inquiry into racist behaviour if he kept talking in this vein, after he dialed 999 to report travellers at his Oxfordshire farm. Writing in his Sunday Times column, the Chadlington farm owner and former Top Gear host explained that A couple of chaps had come up the drive asking for a selfie. There was something about them he didn't like the look of and he told them to leave. A drone had been sighted over the farm that day, he said. He eventually called 999 after initially calling Thames Valley Police's non-emergency number 101. Mr Clarkson, 61, whose hit series, Clarkson's Farm, charts his agricultural efforts on his Oxfordshire estate, said of the call handler, she seemed to think I was reporting someone for wanting a selfie, but she did at least ask me to describe them, so I said they were travellers. There was then a pause, after which she said, that if I continued in this vein, she'd be forced to open a new line of inquiry into racist behaviour. That was scary, and tricky too, because how do you describe someone without bringing colour and religion and race into it? I explained that they'd actually introduced themselves as travellers, but she couldn't get her head round this either, so the call ended and I waited for the actual police to not show up. Naturally, they obliged, which is why I went to bed with a big ebony stick that's used throughout Africa for killing lions. Thames Valley Police declined to comment.
2: And yet another story about Jeremy Clarkson. And this one is headed, I couldn't have won Farm Award without... TV star and novice farmer Jeremy Clarkson has been presented with a prize at the British Farming Awards. The presenter stars in Clarkson's farm, which he bought in 2008, and it was run by a villager. But when he retired in 2019, Mr Clarkson decided to see if he could run it. Last week, he won the Flying the Flag for British Agriculture Award. He praised right-hand man Caleb Cooper and the other staff on his farm uh, being presented with the prize at the event in Birmingham. Clarkson's farm, available on Amazon Prime Video, has been praised by the Environment Secretary, George Eustace. Speaking at the Conservative Party conference event, he said, I think Jeremy Clarkson's programme has done a huge amount to raise the profile of agriculture and some of the challenges it faces. It's a sort of... Top Gear meets Countryfile-type programme, I think. In July, Amazon announced it had commissioned a second series.
1: Beckhams get bat signal over plan for new office. The Beckhams have been granted planning permission for an office at their 6.5 million luxury barn in Great Two. On condition, they protect bats and birds. Planners at West Oxfordshire District Council said, before the erection of any external walls, details of the provision of at least one integrated bat box and at least one integrated bird box within the walls of the new building shall be submitted to the local planning authority for approval. The outbuilding, intended to replace an old building, has a traditional gabled form. It has two open and one enclosed bay and is typical of small agricultural buildings constructed using a timber post and beam frame with posts supported on staddle stones. Buggies and quad bikes listed as examples of the vehicles that will be stored. In carrying out the scheme, ex-England footballer David, 46, and fashion designer wife Victoria, 47, must ensure that bats, birds, badgers, hedgehogs, reptiles and amphibians are protected in accordance with the conservation of habitats And Species Regulations 2017 and the Wildlife and Countryside Act 1981. Along with the planning application, the celebrity couple had uploaded a report from ecology experts at AA Environmental Limited who had visited the Beckhams' home to conduct a survey. In correspondence to the couple regarding the plans, it was noted that several measures to enhance native species in the area needed to be followed. The family owns a grade two listed converted barn worth an estimated six point five million with a newly created lake, and it sits near Soho Farmhouse at Great Two. The property has been renovated a number of times over the past few years. Features of the countryside estate include a huge football pitch and spectator stand, outdoor pool, and enormous garage, plus a sauna, wine cellar, and plunge pool. It was recently revealed the couple had installed a £7,000 state-of-the-art ice cream machine which recreates frozen treats from the American fast food chain Wendy's. The couple also own a £31 million mansion in London and a £19 million penthouse in Florida.
2: And now for something completely different the heading being Bouncing In to See New Primary Making Start. People living on Whitney's newest housing estates have been given a look around their local primary school. Windrush Church of England Primary School threw an opening party for householders on the new Windrush Place and Colwell Green developments in the west of the town. The event earlier this month featured free ice cream, face painting, a bouncy castle and raffle, Windrush opened for its first reception year and nursery children at the start of last month. The school is operated by Oxfordshire-based multi-academy trust, the River Learning Trust, and the Oxford Diocesan Board of Education. The River Learning Trust operates three other primary schools in the town, Madley Brook, Whitney Community and Tower Hill, as well as Edith House in Carterton and Charlbury Primary School. Its secondary schools include Chipping Norton, the Marlborough School in Woodstock. The Windrush headteacher, Claire Dolan, said, We have the most fantastic facilities here at Windrush, but we recognise that schools are about people, not places. That was why we wanted to hold an event where local residents were welcomed in to see the buildings and the grounds. This school is, after all, their school. The weather might have been pretty awful on the day but we're lucky to have had plenty of space and community facilities inside so it all passed off brilliantly. I think it was only the grown-ups who had to go and do the ceremonial tree planting in the grounds who were bothered by the rain. Halsall, the award-winning contractor worked in partnership with developers Persimmon, Bovis and Bloor Homes to construct the school. For the opening event, Halsall donated free ice cream, drinks and organised the purchase and planting of three new trees to mark the occasion. Paul Lacey, Operations Manager at Halsall, said it's a privilege to have been able to help create this special place that is going to be right at the heart of a wonderful new community. It's important for us to give back to the communities in which we work and it has been an honour to donate what we could for the school to ensure they had a successful opening. It's been rewarding to see our work come to life and others to enjoy it. Windrush's initial intake of 30 pupils, although it will have capacity to increase to 45 children a year in due course. The school, the first to open in the town since Madley Brook in 2003, also offers a breakfast club and after school care.
1: Bun fight is expected for new 20 miles per hour zones. Councillors fear there could be an appalling bun fight over which areas of Oxfordshire have twenty miles per hour zones put in first. Oxfordshire County Council's twenty mile per hour policy and new approach states that ten percent of areas previously set at thirty miles per hour have had limits reduced. These proposals will see that rise to approximately 85%. The report says there is huge local interest and desire to realise that ambition, and despite police indicating that direct enforcement is unlikely, it is hoped it will become socially unacceptable to break 20 mph limits over time. Locations must be supported by local town or parish council and the local county council elected member within built-up environments where vulnerable road users and vehicles mix in a frequent and planned manner and where the speed limit is currently no higher than 40 miles per hour top priority will be given to areas where there have been recorded instances of people being killed or seriously injured, followed by where minor incidents or near misses can be evidenced. After those considerations, school walking routes, volume of people crossing roads, the level of active frontage from buildings such as shops, And areas of high traffic volume will have priority. New projects and schemes that include 20 miles per hour limits are set to be considered separately. The county's Place Overview and Scrutiny Committee recognised overwhelming public support for the venture but shared concerns over every community expecting the rollout to happen in their area first. Ensham councillor Dan Levy said, I have eight parishes on my patch. Several of them have more than one village. Everyone is very keen on having at least one 20-mile-per-hour zone. Could I ask who is going to do the work? to prioritise who gets what first and could the criteria be slightly more objective? Otherwise, as Councillor Weber says, it is going to be an appalling bun fight. Paul Fermer, Oxfordshire County Council's Assistant Director of Highways and Transport Operations, invited suggestions over how the criteria could be clearer ahead of the matter being considered by Cabinet.
2: Drink driver caught out by police after Honda crashes. A supermarket worker who crashed his Honda was more than twice the legal drink drive limit, a court heard. Thomas Williams, 35, was found beside his red Honda after the crash near Kingham railway station. On October the second, a PCSO sent out to the crash scene suspected that the man from Norton in Gloucestershire might have been under the influence, as he was unsteady on his feet and had to lean on the car for support. He heard the court heard. <clears throat> Williams was evasive initially, giving the police a false name. When he was breath tested at the police station he blew 94 milligrams of alcohol in 100 milliliters of breath the legal limit is 35 milligrams appearing before oxford magistrates court via video link from banbury police station williams of norton in gloucestershire pleaded guilty to being drunk in charge of a vehicle and failing to turn up at court on october the 18th he had previous convictions for drink driving the driver told the magistrates that he'd not attended court on Monday as he'd hit rock bottom and didn't know what to do. He had a supermarket job but was signed off sick last week. Finding him £353 and banning him from the roads for six months, Chairman of the Bench Deborah Backhouse said, you've got a history here which is why we have given you a disqualification. He was ordered to pay £119 in costs and surcharge. Uh, Mindful of the fact that this uh, next week will be the International
0: Climate Change Conference, Um, I came across this article (coughs) from an Oxfordshire paper that was printed on the 28th of October, that's this day, in 1882, and it reads as follows. Wind, rain, snow and thunder and lightning alternated during Tuesday morning until afternoon, when the fury of the tempest abated. The road to South Lee was blocked by a prostrate tea, tree. Four upturned and upheaved trunks in succession disputed the passage of the road from Newbridge to Northmoor, and two more trees were precipitated across the line by the Whitney railway station. At half past five o'clock on Wednesday morning, some of the residents of Bridge Street were awakened by the rush of water. On coming downstairs to ascertain the cause, they found in many instances several inches of water already in their rooms. The work of removing all furniture, carpets, etc., was at once commenced, which continued for some time. And whilst this was going on, others were blockading their doors and gateways to prevent the fast rising water entering their premises. When this was completed, the back and front doors were thrown open and the water allowed to rush through the passages into the streets. Plenty of passengers were found by enterprising proprietors of vehicles willing to be conveyed through the water at the nominal charge of a penny each way. Others were seen in boats, on bicycles and tricycles, and even in tubs... About noon the water began to subside and towards six in the evening there was very little water left in the streets but it still remained in the low-placed houses when their inhabitants retired to rest for the night. We've experienced this again more recently, haven't we? And now it's time for this week's notice board and uh, firstly... A general reminder that uh, you don't forget that British summertime ends on Saturday night and the clocks go back one hour. And then on Sunday, the 31st of October, it's Halloween, so be prepared for trick or treaters. And notice about uh, our AGM, which will be taking place in this building, the Methodist Building in Whitney, on the 8th of November at 7pm. You're all welcome and refreshments will be served during the interval. And now it's quiz time and we begin as usual with the answers from last week's quiz. Question 1. Florence Nightingale won fame for her services during the Crimean War, but against which country were the British fighting? Anybody know? Yes. Russia is right. And question two, Florence Nightingale and her sister Parthenope were British, but where were they born? Italy. In which year was the NHS founded? You're dead right, 1948, yes. To the nearest 100,000, how many nurses are there in in the NHS? And uh, it's 300,000 is the nearest, and the actual total is 301,381. And the final question was, can you name the chief executive of NHS England? And it's Amanda Pritchard. There you are, very specialist questions. Mm-hmm. Now, this week's quiz, or well, you get these. Uh, question number one. Which sign of the zodiac is represented by a crab? Question number two Which country's secret service is called the Mossad? Question three What was Buffalo Bill's real name? Question four Which animal? is the symbol of the Republican Party in the USA. And finally, question five. On whose poems was the musical Cats based? There you are. Answers next week. And now we're sad to announce the following deaths. On the 17th of October, Philip, known as Phil Thornton aged 74, of Burford. And on the 20th of October, Michael Cox, aged 86. And of course, our sincere condolences go to family and friends of the deceased.
1: Teens arrested for arson after a huge barn fire in District. Two teenagers have been arrested on suspicion of arson after a huge fire broke out at a barn. Emergency crews were called just before 3pm on Sunday to reports of a fire at a farm on Cuckoo Lane, off the A40 near Ensham. Around 40 firefighters from six Oxfordshire fire stations and specialist units from Berkshire were called to the blaze. Police confirmed that two boys, both aged 15, one from Ensham and one from Freeland, were arrested on Sunday on suspicion of arson. They have both been released on police bail until Thursday, November the 18th, while investigations continue. The fire involved more than 600 tons of hay. No one was injured.
2: Girl and Rhino are bonding and sharing the same name, Molly. A beautiful friendship has been forged between the newest baby Rhino at the Cotswold Wildlife Park and the headkeeper's four-year-old daughter that she was named after. Births in captivity are considered rare, with only 19 white rhinos being born in European zoos in the last 12 months. The new baby's birth is due to the dedication of the mammal keepers and the park's commitment to the European breeding programme. That's why head keeper Mark Godwin, who has been at the park for 31 years, has looked after the ever-growing crash of rhinos for the last 13 years and was given the rare honour of naming the calf. He decided to call her Molly after his daughter. Mark said, We're all convinced... It was going to be a boy and she was going to be called after the owner's former boss. But when, uh, when he worked in Africa, Marcus, as it was, it turned out to be a girl and we didn't have a name. Mark and his family live on site at the park and Molly and his son Henry, five, have both grown up there and adore the rhinos as much as their dad. Molly was absolutely thrilled to have one of her favourite animals named after her, and has described the honour as amazing, Mark said. She pops in in the evenings when we're bringing them in. She can't feed her as the rhino is not on proper solids yet. She's mainly on milk from her mum, and about one month they start uh, ingesting solids. They start off with their mum's poo, which is full of flora and fauna, and it kicks off the gut activity. They have to maintain a fantastic amount of weight... And uh, one and a half to three kilograms a day, so the milk has to be topped up with solid food. Mark has drawn a height chart in chalk on the rhino house wall, recording the Molly's heights as they grow up together. He said, Henry is just a little bit jealous. They both like helping and mucking out, although we get a few moans about the smell. She's not going to let a rhino keeper to be a rhino keeper. But Molly has decided she'd like to be a nurse when she's older, like Peppa Pig. There are currently three baby rhinos born to parents Monty and Ruby at the
1: park. Now, two brief pieces of news: scary fines for drivers with law-flouting horns. Motorists are being warned that their spooky costumes could land them with a driving ban and a scary £5,000 fine this Halloween. Motoring Association Motor Easy has urged anyone taking to the roads to be wary of what they wear. Rule 97 of the Highway Code states you should ensure clothing and footwear do not prevent you using the controls in the correct manner. Motor Easy founder Duncan McClure Fisher said, This usually applies to things such as flip-flops and narrow skirts. But if your devil hooves or Harley Quinn stilettos affect your ability to safely manoeuvre your vehicle... You could be charged with careless driving and handed a £100 on-the-spot fine. And the second one, thief given stores ban. A shoplifter has been banned from every supermarket in Farringdon after he was jailed for his latest spree. Christopher Murther's criminal behaviour order bans him from going to Tesco, McColls, Waitrose, Aldi and Boots for two years. It was imposed by Oxford magistrates after the 30-year-old of of Acacia Close, Carterton, admitted a shoplifting spree, repeatedly taking expensive fragrances. murtha also known as Chris Carroll, admitted breaching a suspended sentence for possession of a knife. He was jailed for 10 weeks and ordered to pay a 128 victim surcharge. And now a short
2: sports item headed Rivals Are Spot On. And this is about the Southern League. Tame United's derby draw with Didcot Town was a tale of two penalties. Connor Barrett gave the rowermen the lead on the hour mark, sending Craig Hill the wrong way from the spot. But Jack Tutton levelled three minutes later following a handball. Tame are 12th in pitching in Southern League Division 1 Central, with Didcot 8th. North Lee fell to third after their nil-nil draw at Harlow Town. Whilst 10 man Kidlington lost 5-2 to Hartford Town despite Ryan Markham and Billy Gillett putting them 2-0 up. Kidlington are 17th whilst Wantage Town stay bottom after their 1-0 defeat at Waltham Abbey.
1: Another football story. Stevens stuck on sidelines. Jack Stevens faces a spell on the sidelines. After catching glandular fever. The Oxford United goalkeeper fell ill last week, and blood tests revealed the extent of the problem. It saw the 24 year old miss Saturday's 3 1 win at Burton Albion, with Simon Eastwood stepping in and 18 year old Kai Plumley promoted to the substitutes bench. Stevens has been told to rest for the next fortnight giving Eastwood a run of games in the side. It comes as U's head coach, Carl Robinson, watched from home again on Saturday after testing positive for coronavirus last week. Assistant manager Craig Short said, Jack has been feeling under the weather and had blood tests. As we arrived at the hotel at St. George's Park to train on Friday... It came through that he had glandular fever. He wanted to train, but the club paid for a taxi to get him home.
2: High school application deadline this week. Parents and carers have until the end of the day on Sunday to submit their secondary school applications for children starting Year 7 next September. Applications opened on te- September the 3rd. If there are more applications than places, priority is given to children by following the school's admission rules. Details of catchment areas can be found for schools which use them on the Oxfordshire County Council website. While the catchment area is one of the ways that school places are decided, there are other factors such as whether a child has a brother or sister at the school or whether they have special educational needs or other requirements. Religious or faith schools can use religion of a child or family as a deciding factor. Secondary school children are eligible for free home-to-school transport if the school is more than three miles from their home address. Transport can also be provided when the distance is less than three miles and the route is listed as dangerous by the County Council.
1: Church Access Row on Jemima Estate Jemima Khan is embroiled in a row over car access to a churchyard on her estate. Filmmaker Ms Khan, now known by her maiden name of Goldsmith, bought Kiddington Hall near Woodstock in 2010. It has 466 acres of surrounding landscaped parkland. St. Nicholas's Church is in the grounds of the hall, and although there is pedestrian right of access to the churchyard, car access and parking is by courtesy. Christopher and Wendy Earle from Cowley make the 80-minute round trip to the church on special occasions to lay flowers on family members' graves. Mr. Earle said... We turned up one day and we could not get in. I have double arthritis and walk with two sticks. Walking up is difficult, not just for me, but for any disabled person. The previous owner of the hall always left the gate open. It's been like that forever. We never had a problem until it was bought by Jemima Khan. He added, we wrote to the Bishop of Oxford, and he passed us on to the Bishop of Dorchester. Apparently, they were meeting with Jemima Khan, and it was resolved. There was a buzzer system, so that we could call the hall for access, and someone would open the gate. But we went in August, and nobody was around at the hall, and it was only because some people were driving out that we could get in. Last week the buzzer was not working at all Miss Goldsmith daughter of financier Sir James Goldsmith and former wife of ex cricketer and now Pakistan prime minister Imran Khan reportedly paid 15 million for the estate described as a jewel in the heart of Oxfordshire Mrs Earle added, I spoke to a young gardener and asked him what the problem was with the, buzzer, with the buzzer system and he said, there's nobody in the hall to open the gate. One time we were there, they would not open the gate and luckily David Cameron turned up, taking his daughter horse riding and he had the code and let us in. The Reverend Stephen Jones Vicar of Wootton, Glimpton and Kiddington said although the pedestrian access is a legal right of way, the driveway is not. He said, it's a problem we have had, this has come up before. The difficulty is we should be able to press a button and someone should answer it.
2: Transport Scheme Gets Depot a lifeline community bus service run by volunteers has finally opened in its new home in Whitney. West Oxfordshire Community Transport has cut the ribbon on its depot after seeking a premise since forming in 2016. It acquired a site on the Windrush Valley Road this summer. MP Robert Courts, Mayor of Whitney Joy Aitman, directors, passengers and invited guests attended the opening held for the not-for-profit company. Margaret Burden, chairman of WOCT, said, We started in June 2016 as a concept and we were registered in November 2016. We started our operations in January 2017 and ever since then we've talked about this wonderful dream of having our own depot. What it would mean, and what an absolute game changer it would be for our organisation, I can't tell you what it means that we're here and that we've arrived at this point. It's fabulous, as well as parking spaces for the fleet of buses. The depot has offices, a training room, and a break room
1: new new fee to replace lost recycling boxes. Households will have to pay for replacement recycling containers following a vote at West Oxfordshire District Council. Councillors approved the change after hearing there was evidence some people were making repeated (coughs) requests. Officers reported that while many requests for recycling containers were genuine, some were not, and recycling boxes (coughs) and kitchen caddies had been used as removal boxes, garden tool boxes and toy boxes. A substantial number were used at allotments. The charges for replacement containers will be Kitchen, caddy for food waste, £5. Recycling box and lid, £5. Blue recycling bin, £10 garden waste bin, £10, 240-litre refuge bin, £10, and 360, 660, 1,100-litre refuge bin, £20. Norman McCry, Cabinet Member for Environment, told a meeting the council was spending a small fortune On extra bins. Andrew Prosser said, I do support some form of charging, and given that we recently removed local recycling centres and points, the reassurance we were giving to people in the local community was that if they want more capacity for roadside recycling, they can apply to the council for this. So I guess the question is, this is this a charge for higher capacity or just replacements? And can we assure that it is the lowest cost? Mr McRae responded that the Environment Overview and Scrutiny Committee had supported charges at the lowest rate of the options. He added that if anyone needed a bigger bin for any reason, they could apply online, subject to the usual criteria. But Andrew Cole said, The thing that does disappoint me slightly is the report doesn't reflect any potential loss of recycling from it. We're all saying it's a very good thing for environmental impact, Can I ask, has any consideration been given should people stop recycling or reduce their recycling because of this? Mr. McRae said, recycling rates are going up, which is good and bad at the same time. What we are trying to do is reduce all waste streams. But what you do throw away, we want it to be recycled.
2: And to end on a ghostly story, horror story of ghost bus shelter turning into library. A disused bus shelter has been turned into a spooky swap shop where villagers can trade books with each other. The site in South Lee was initially transformed during the first lockdown and has since had a makeover for Christmas. Valentine's Day and Easter. Residents used it to swap books, puzzles and even vegetables. However, it is very much an unofficial library for the village. The current version of the Station Road shelter is providing frights to villagers after undergoing a frightening Halloween-inspired transformation. Martin Spurrier, who helped decorate the latest incarnation, said... It all started with keeping morale up in the village and as people couldn't be out and about during lockdown. We have a village of 330 people with 140 houses and the response online has been fantastic. We have been saying we've done ourselves proud and how it's been scaring people to death. When we were putting it up, literally everyone, including the Ocado delivery driver, stopped to see what we were doing. We've... Gone all out with this one, the black and orange lighting, the rats and spiders and the kids absolutely love it. We're really chuffed with this one and the reaction and how people actively say they'll bring their children down and that's the rewarding part of it. Everyone loves it and we love doing it for them. The legacy of lockdown in the village is the bus shelter, although nobody can ever recall the shelter being used but it certainly found a purpose now. The shelter was originally renamed the Andrew Carnegie Memorial Library by fellow resident Dick Pears. The Scottish industrialist is famous for leading the growth of American steel and industry and becoming one of the richest people in history. He was also a philanthropist and reportedly gave away 90% of his fortune to good causes. Some of that money funded more than 2,500 libraries across the globe, of which many still exist, hence the name of the Shelter.
0: Well, that's all we've got time for, so please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. And remember to reverse that plastic address label in the yellow pouch before you post it back to us. And could you please do that as soon as possible, because we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. Oh, and remember that if you want to contact us, just leave a slip of paper in your pouch and we'll telephone you. And if on any week you've not received your memory stick, for whatever reason, uh, if there's a problem with producing the sticks, you can always listen to our recording by on, on the telephone by dialing 01993 555 986. And so it only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for the stories we've used tonight. Thanks to our technical expert, Peter Brading, and our copiers, who will be Peter and Nigel James, who are going to be copying the memory sticks, and then to our volunteers, who've been checking the pouches and the memory sticks that you've returned, and keeping records in our register. They were Penny Brading and Anne Treloar. And finally, our two readers, Marley and Nigel, and I know we would all like to say goodbye, and so until our next edition... Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.
1: F soundings features from across the UK.
3: And now for a look at this coming week's radio highlights, which have been selected for us by Angela. Thanks to her. Thanks also to John for doing this job week in, week out. He's actually been away this week, so I'm standing in for him. Now, starting on Saturday, the 30th of October. The T20 Cricket World Cup continues, so cricket enthusiasts will be keen to tune in to Radio 5 Sports Extra's Test Match Special. Commentary on South Africa versus Sri Lanka is at 10.45am, followed by England versus Australia at 2.45pm. It is, of course, Halloween weekend, so the drama on Radio 4 at 3pm is Hope Murley's 1926 fantasy cult classic, Lud in the Mist. In the town of Lud in the Mist, all things fairy are taboo. So when the mayor finds that his son has developed a taste for fairy fruit, his world falls apart. With fiddle and accordion music from folk duo The Cider House Rebellion. And continuing the theme of Halloween, Radio 4 Extra has a couple of interesting dramas. At 4pm, John Moffat stars as Hercule Poirot in Agatha Christie's 1969 novel Halloween Party. This is about the murder of a child on All Hallows' Eve. Then at 6pm comes Frankenstein, Lucy Catherine's dramatisation of Mary Shelley's 1818 horror tale. Broadcast in two parts. It concludes tomorrow, Sunday, at the same time, 6pm, on Radio 4 Extra. Over now to Radio 3 at 6.30pm for Opera on 3 and Wagner's Tannhäuser recorded this year at Wagner's own festival theatre in Bayreuth. It's the story of a medieval musician torn between passion and true love. Tannhäuser returns from the domain of the goddess Venus to the earthly land of Wartburg to try to win the affections of the devoutly religious Elizabeth. Archive on 4 at 8pm on Radio 4 is entitled How America Learned to Laugh Again. Twenty years ago, in the aftermath of 9/11, the response of the Western media was to ban laughter, and this is the story of what happened next. And then, at 10:15 p.m. on Radio 4, in the reunion, Kirsty Walk reunites the group of women involved in the founding and early years of the feminist publisher Virago. Now, on to Sunday, the 31st of October. And Lauren Laverne's castaway on Desert Island Discs today is former Manchester United footballer Peter Schmeichel. Tune in to Radio 4 at 11am or to the repeat on Friday the 5th of November at 9am. At 2.45pm on Radio 4 is A Home of Our Own. A look at Britain's broken housing market through the stories of 10 different homes and their occupants. Today it's the story of a cottage in St. Moore's, Cornwall. And this is followed at 3pm on Radio 4 by the drama Lolly Willows, Sylvia Townsend Warner's 1926 comic novel. Lolly has been put upon by her family for her entire life, forced into the role of an unpaid carer and destined for a lonely spinsterhood. She's determined to get a taste of freedom. Over to Radio 2 for Sunday night's Music Night and a concert of American classics by George and Ira Gershwin featuring the BBC Big Band and singer Patti Austin. More drama at 8.15pm, this time on Radio 3 with Leave Taking, an adaptation of Winsome Pinnock's 1988 play featuring the cast from the 2018 revival at London's Bush Theatre. Jamaican-born Enid takes her teenage daughters to the local Obeah woman for some traditional Caribbean spiritual healing, only to find as they negotiate the frictions between their countries and cultures that there's no turning back. And finally for Sunday, the 31st of October, comes Slow Radio, Sounding Jarrow Slake, Tim Shaw's audio tour of the tidal mudflats at the mouth of the Tyne. The soundscape is punctuated by fragments of information about the social, industrial and natural history of this remarkable place. And now for a look at those programmes which are broadcast each day at the same time. Book of the Week at 9.45am each day this week on Radio 4 is Years of Joy and Sorrows, the memoir of artist and activist Ai Weiwei, an epic tale of China through the story of his own life and the legacy of his father. It's repeated at 10.45pm each night as Book at Bedtime. Composer of the week is Sofia Gubaidulina, who recently celebrated her 90th birthday. She was born under Stalinist rule and worked as a composer under strict Soviet conditions. Tune in to Radio 3 each day at 12 noon as she and Donald MacLeod explore the five different aspects of her progressive and distinctive music. Then at 12.04pm each day on Radio 4, The Frequency of Us continues. Keith Stewart's novel about a young carer trying to solve a mystery surrounding her charge, Will, whose wife disappeared during the Blitz. Today, Laura makes a significant breakthrough. At 1.45pm on Radio 4 each day this week is The Hack That Changed the World, in which BBC security correspondent Gordon Carrera goes on the trail of a cyber cold case. In 2009, the theft of emails from the University of East Anglia was used to make the case that scientists were surreptitiously twisting the facts to exaggerate climate change. Finally, at 10.45pm on Radio 3 each night is the essay, Sounds of Isolation. Chris Watson travels the world recording unique sounds. In the first of these programmes, he recalls a trip to Antarctica to record the sounds of a glacier being transformed from a mountain of freshwater ice into the salt water of the Ross Sea. Now for programmes on Monday, the 1st of November. Follow England's progress in the T20 Cricket World Cup with live commentary from 1.45 pm on Radio 5 Live Extra's Test Match Special. The drama today on Radio 4 at 2.15pm is Our Trees, a Robert Glenister narrates Francis Burns drama documentary which weaves the voices of Sheffield's urban tree campaigners into a dark contemporary fairy tale. At 8pm on Radio 4 comes A Summer of Fire and Flood. Germany's Our Valley was a picturesque chain of ancient towns and villages along a small, beautiful river. A tourist region famous for its wine production, then on one terrifying night in July, the water rose, engulfing almost every house, and over a hundred people lost their lives. Almost all bridges were destroyed and businesses ruined. Tim Wewell meets some of the inhabitants as they try to rebuild their lives. Repeated on the 3rd of November at 11am. And this is followed at 8.30pm on Radio 4 by Analysis and The Worker's Revenge. With labor shortages such as for HGV drivers, care homes, or restaurant staff, Philip Coogan asks whether power is shifting from employers to workers and what that will mean for the economy. And finally, for Monday, the 1st of November at 9 p.m. on Radio 4 is Colin Powell Learning to Read, a look at the life of the former U.S. Secretary of State, son of British Jamaican immigrants. Who graduated in the 1950s from a college in Harlem that was known as the Poor Persons Harvard. Now on to Tuesday, the 2nd of November. At 11am on Radio 4 is No Ball Games, which marks the centenary of the Beckentry estate in East London's Dagenham. Three local residents present a portrait of the estate. It's repeated on Monday, the 8th of November at 9pm. This is followed at 11.30am on Radio 4 by Pride and Prejudice, How We Read Now. Abigail Williams, Professor of English at Oxford University, asks how today's students are reading the novel and explores new approaches to teaching and studying. The drama at 2.15pm on Radio 4 is Bayeux, Embroidering the Truth, a comedy-drama in which Edith of Wessex, the former Queen of England, comes up with a plan to save her lands and wealth from William the Conqueror. She'll offer fine English needlework depicting the Norman Conquest. Then at 3.30pm on Radio 4, this week's Costing the Earth focuses on COP26 and gathers voices of people most affected by climate change who will not be represented. It's repeated on Wednesday at 9pm. Six years ago, the UK led the world in making coercive and controlling behaviour towards a partner a crime. Now, in a new series, File on Four looks at whether women are being fairly served by the criminal justice system. On Radio 4 at 8pm and repeated on the 6th of November at 5pm. And finally, for Tuesday, the 2nd of November, why not tune in to Jamie Cullum's Jazz Show at 9pm on Radio 2 as he plays classic recordings and new sounds from up-and-coming acts. On now to Wednesday, the 3rd of November, the drama today at 2.15pm on Radio 4 is Daughter. Ralph is an aspiring musician trying to come to terms with fatherhood. Can he bear the responsibility and the restrictions to his freedom? There's a new series at 4pm on Radio 4, Sideways in which Matthew Sayed asks whether transferable resilience from one field to another is the secret to success throughout life. He speaks to a chemist come mountaineer who, when she's not climbing mountains, is fighting to get toxic chemicals banned from everyday household goods. In tonight's Radio 3 in concert at 7.30pm, you can hear period instrumental ensemble the consonne Quartet, play works from Schubert, Quartet in C minor, Mendelssohn's string quartet in D, and Haydn, the string quartet in F. At 8.30pm on Radio 4 is Descendants. Marcus is of Bajan descent. Alison is a vicar in rural Somerset. And Ruth leads a middle-class life in Bristol. Yet their lives have all been impacted by the legacy of one of the biggest slave owners in British history, a man called Thomas Daniel. Now to Thursday the 4th of November and Radio 4's drama at 2.15 today is the final part of The Attendant. Alex, Ella and Keith must overcome an evil plot to take over the petrol station and this time the how-to tapes might just come in handy. Open countries at 3pm on Radio 4. And this week, Gaelic singer and historian Fiona Mackenzie is on the Hebridean island of Rum to hear about the campaign to restore Kinloch Castle, one of the most remarkable buildings in the Western Isles. At 7.30pm on Radio 3, tune in to a concert recorded last Sunday at London's Barbican Concert Hall. The LSO perform works by Antonin Vorjak, In der Natur and The Golden Spinning Wheel and York Vidman's Viola Concerto. That's Radio 3 in concert at 7.30pm. And finally, for Thursday, the 4th of November, the bottom line at 8.30pm on Radio 4 is entitled The Business of Lotteries. The National Lotteries contract comes up for renewal this month, and with the winning bid about to be announced, Evan Davis looks at whether lotteries can be big business. Repeat it on the 6th of November at 5.30pm. And finally, to Friday, the 5th of November, well, you've got the date right, wait out for the bangs. And in this week's Green Inc., journalist and satirist Hayden Prowse reflects on how, overnight, every multi-billion dollar organisation in Silicon Valley appears to have gone green. He wonders whether they finally listened to calls for businesses to do more, or whether this is just Greenwash, wanting to present a seemingly environmentally responsible public image. Tune in to Radio 4 at 11am. The drama at 2.15pm on Radio 4 Today is Harland, a supernatural thriller by Lucy Catherine. A detective investigates the sudden disappearance of a child in a town built on the site of a village abandoned 900 years ago where a sinkhole has entirely swallowed her home. Music now to bring the week to a close. First, Classic FM's Pet Classics with Bill Turnbull at 6pm. Soothing music designed to help calm animals' nerves during the fireworks season. Featuring a peaceful pavan by Forey affectionately known as The Cat to his friends, and a melody written by Mozart for his own unusual pet. Then Tony Blackburn's Golden Hour, an eclectic playlist of pop and soul oldies, is always uplifting. So listen in at 7pm on Radio 2. And finally, for something a little more relaxing... Classic FM's Smooth Classics at 10pm never fails to deliver. Well, I've done my best to deliver these uh, radio suggestions for this week. I don't think uh, I'm as good as John. I look forward to him coming back next week. TNS Soundings